0: Well, welcome to week three of Out of the Shadows. And before we begin, I want to make a, a quick announcement. Uh, you, you may want to jot this down somewhere, especially if you ever have to lead a team. And there's something about culture that kind of produces culture. Um, you produce what you reiterate, you keep reiterating it, you'll, eventually you'll produce it. You produce what you reiterate, you, you keep what you celebrate, you deserve what you tolerate. You produce what you reiterate. You keep what you celebrate. You deserve what you tolerate. It's kind of like you deserve it if you tolerate it. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Welcome to Out of the Shadows Week 3. Here's what I want to do, though. I want to keep I want to keep what I'm celebrating. I just got to celebrate something real quick. Over the last couple of weeks, over 200 people have been a part of our encounter experience on Sunday nights at 6 p.m. at the Nacogdoches and Lufkin location for the first time in Nacogdoches, everybody. That's so cool. If you haven't dipped your toe in the water of encounter or maybe you started but you had to stop or maybe you kind of drifted out, this is your chance to get plugged back in, number one. But number two, for the first time since we launched Nacogdoches a couple weeks ago, we had our youth launch party in Nacogdoches and over 80 teenagers showed up to the Nacogdoches campus for launch party. I love it. I love the next generation. Do you love them more than all the other generations? I don't love them more, but we want more for the next generation because all of us are having an opportunity to find Christ but we are after the next generation they have got the seat of honor at the table you and I we grow older every single day you don't have to work at it watch I just grew five seconds older without even trying but I gotta work at growing younger you know what I'm saying like I gotta grow like you know get that you know whatever just for men I gotta I gotta work At growing younger. And if we don't grow younger as a church, someday we put a a shelf life on what God wants to do here. Jesus is passionate about us reaching the next generation. So guess what we're going to be passionate about? Reaching the next generation. Can I get a good what? All right. Thank you. And for all of those that need to say an amen instead of a what? Just say amen. 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 All right. All right. Here we are out of the shadows The truth is we're dealing with things that are blaring, glaring right in front of us. Obviously, the global pandemic, but the global pandemic has produced all kinds of uh, emotions, uh, mental health issues. One in five in 2019, we're struggling with an emotional and mental health crisis. Since 2020, we have seen that rise to one in two people. That's not one in two people outside of the church. That's not one in two people who don't claim Christ as their savior. That's one in two people that you love. That's one in two people in the church. That's one in two people in your family. That's one in two people in your house. There are people dealing with a strain. And listen, this is why we're experiencing a lot of the, the heatedness that we're facing right now. It's not just opinions gone wild. It's not just politics gone crazy. It, it's people are under a lot of strain and we're resp- hurt people hurt people. You're not you when you're hungry. You're also not you when you're emotionally strained. And the truth is, out of control emotions will never produce godly results in your life. Let me say it again out of control emotions never produce godly results in your life. Now, the With one and two dealing with this, not everyone goes through the same thing in the same way. You may be dealing with something emotionally or mentally, and you may call it the same thing. Oh, man, I'm depressed. And yet you are dealing with something that's depressing, but it's not depression. There's a sadness, but it's not like clinical depression. There's simple, complicated, and complex realities. There's spectrums of those. Not everyone goes through the same thing in the same way, but the truth is everyone here, including your pastor, Everyone goes through and is going through something. And my prayer for you is not original. My prayer for you is not one that I've come up with. I've gone through the scripture for this prayer. And it's the same prayer that the Apostle Paul prayed. He prayed it over the church of Thessalonica, and here's what he said. He he prayed this. May God himself, the God who makes everything holy and whole, holy and whole. It's not just a spiritual thing. It's it's an emotional, spiritual, relational thing. Holy, because he is holy, and holy whole may he make you holy and whole he put you together spirit soul and body so in other words he he's he's the god of your holiness and he's also the god of your hormones he, he's the god of both he doesn't just care about you walking with prayer he cares about you being uh, emotionally stable he, he he desires for you to be not just free from sin, but to be free from those things holding you back, and that he would keep you fit for the coming of our Master Jesus Christ. No no no. We have this issue going on in our lives where we put our dependency, the Bible says some trust in chariots and some trust in horses. We would say like that. some trust in the White House, some trust in their political party, some trust in, in their own thinking, some trust in pulling themselves up by the bootstraps, some of them trust in old time religion, some of them trust in all kinds of things, and those things are not dependable. Long term you cannot place all your trust on those things at all. You will find them lacking. But the one who called you is completely dependable. If he said it, he'll do it. If he said it, he'll do it. And I said this in week one, God wants you to get where God wants you to go more than you want to get where God wants you to go. More than you want to, to, to accomplish what God has for your life, he wants it more than you do. He is for you, not against you. But being for you doesn't mean he is for everything you choose and for everything that you're carrying. He is for you living the free life that he paid for with his son's own blood. Today, as we continue on with Out of the Shadows, we're bringing to the forefront uh, some weapons of mass destruction, some WMDs, but I'm not talking about stuff that's hidden away or stored away in some bunker, some some warehouse somewhere. I'm talking about weapons of mass self-destruction, ticking time bombs that we stuff in our pockets that we stuff deep down in there, into the, into the soul, into the heart, into our emotions. These weapons of mass self-destruction, known as things like fear, that will cripple your faith. Compulsions that, oh, why do I do the things I don't want to do, and then I don't do the things that I want to do. And ugh, Paul, the apostle, dealt with that. Bitterness, which is kind of uh, uh, unforgiveness that, that, becomes, that hits puberty When you you live in unforgiveness, bitterness is is, is when that unforgiveness hits puberty and starts all kinds of craziness in your life. Hopelessness, insecurities. A lot of these come not just out, just like, just from the enemy. Many times it can be our uncontrolled thoughts. They become the self-destructive behavior. Your life moves in the direction of your strongest thoughts you will believe something. And many people, their lives are moving in the direction of something they're believing and what they're believing is a lie. They're believing the lies of the enemy. And uncontrolled thoughts, if not left unchecked, the same way with uncontrolled emotions, it won't produce God-honoring results in your life. But the one I wanna talk about today is not just uncontrolled thoughts. We'll we'll, we'll, we'll see how that can become something that, that Jesus wants to deal with. There's some things only Jesus can do and then there are other things that Jesus invites you to do the work. He'll do the work, but then there's some things that he won't take captive, things that you have to take captive. Things that he won't do for you, things that you have to do, because he's given you the responsibility to, to chase after it. And what I want to talk to you about today is shame. Now shame is, um, oh, what a shame, or shame on you, or we, we almost, we, we, can, we can minimize shame, and I want to tell you it's really hard to maximize it because shame is a very serious issue. And the truth is, all of us are dealing with a certain level of shame. Now, in, in order to understand it, we got to like, situate our, our, our definition of what shame is. And so let me tell you what it's not first. Shame is not guilt on steroids, okay, but that's what it can feel like. It can feel like guilt on steroids. Guilty, guilty, like really, 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 really ridiculously guilty. But shame is not that. Um, guilt has a health to it. Shame is sickness. So let's talk about guilt versus shame for a moment. If you're taking notes, I invite you to open up your worship guide and fill in some of the blanks. And if you say, hey, I'm not a note taker, I don't, I don't want to fill in the blanks, that's okay. Just write these down somewhere. <clears throat> Gu- guilt versus shame. All right, guilt is focused on the what? It's healthy to have guilt. If you're guilty, right, there are consequences. And guilt is focused, though, on the what. It's focused on the action, okay? And guilt will have consequences. But shame is different. It's not the what you did. Shame is focused on the who. Shame is you were guilty, but then you begin to identify through guilt versus identifying through identity in Christ. Guilt says, I did something bad. Shame says, I am something bad. So my guys that showed up at at the Duncan unit today, um, you, you, you did the crime, you're serving the time. But your crime is not who you really are. It's something you did that maybe you're guilty of. But I want you to know that you don't have to be defined by that. Because if you're living defined by that, that's not guilt, that's shame. And Jesus wants to free you from shame. There's consequences of sin, there's consequences of guilt. We all should serve the proper consequence. But shame is something that no Jesus doesn't expect you to wear. He already wore it on the cross. Some of you today, one of the greatest things that could happen in 2021 is for you to lay the shame down today. That by the end of this message, you would walk out declaring, I am not what I did. I am not my issue. My identity is not my issue. My my, my chemistry is not my character. I am who God says I am. And I'm going to trust God for what's Next, guilt is like a stain on a shirt. It can be washed. The Bible even says, though your sin be like crimson or scarlet, I can wash it white as snow, fresh start. But the problem with shame is shame can feel like a disfigured face, where no matter what you do, it feels permanent. But I want you to know that shame doesn't have to be permanent. It, it can be lifted like anything else that Jesus can lift. But in order to kind of get to where we go with it, uh, let's, let's unpack, let's, let's kind of drill down a little bit deeper today. There are seeds of shame that begin to get planted in our life over and over. It starts at a very young age. Every single one of you have seeds that are being planted, a tape recorder that plays pushes the red record button at the exact same time, and you're recording things that happen recording things that you've done, that others have done, that, that wasn't done, that didn't happen, that did happen, and there is a recording, a tape recorder in your brain, a CD, a, a spiritual Spotify account, and for some of you, an 8-track. Like, there, there is just, for some of you, tablets of stone. They've they, they just, they just been chipping away at the Ten Commandments in your life. Like, like, they're just seeds of shame. And they come from different places. First, shame can come from something we have done. It. it We regret, we made a mistake. We sinned and fell short of the glory of God. Listen to me now, sin is not the act I commit, it's the authority I reject. We have loved to put levels of sin based on their consequences. Even though sin can have different consequences, sin is the authority I reject. When I say, I'm in control, I want control, I'm the final authority, that is AKA sin. God, you're in control, but I actually want to have the one that has all the knowledge of good and evil. That is sin. It wasn't the fruit that they ate. It was the authority they rejected. I want control is the issue all of us deal with, even as babies. Mine, it's an issue of control. Oh, Mom and Dad, you don't even understand, Mom. Let me live my life like control. Control. Nobody's going to tell me what they, what I can or cannot do or what I will and will not do. And I'm going to control. There's time to be passionate about those things. But are we, are we vying for control? Shame can come from something we've done. And guilt is something that we should feel when we've done something wrong. We ask Jesus to, to forgive us, and guess what? When you ask, He forgives you. If you are living in regrets of a past sin, if you are living in something and you feel like you'll never measure up because of what you did and you ask Jesus to forgive you, I want you to know you've been cleansed. There is no scarlet letter on you. You are washed clean. So if you're still feeling like, oh, there's no, that's not guilt and that's not the Holy Spirit. That's shame. That's shame on you. It's shame on you. Jesus already bore all the shame you need to bear. Number two, shame can come from obviously something done to us. It's amazing what can happen when someone is, um, some, there, there's, a, there's a, uh, um, a violation, a hurt, a wound, an abuse. And it's so interesting how, our minds and our bodies and our, our hearts and souls can respond to things like that. To, to the point of someone who had something terrible done to them, they can feel like it was their fault. That's, that's the shame of the thing. I, I'm wearing the results of what happened and somehow I'm trying to make sense of it and, and I can wear the shame of something done to me. That's, that's all about dealing with trauma. And part of the trauma, I I talked about this in week one, that, that many of us don't deal with our trauma because we compare it to someone else's trauma. Because we know a friend who, like they went through they went through war and they 've got major PTSD this one this person was was violated uh, sexually and and, and we 're dealing with you know this over here, like maybe there was some words that wounded you, and you feel like why would these words wound me like that? I mean this person feels like that i, I don 't have anything to complain about, but your trauma is your trauma don't don 't compare your trauma to anybody else. I mentioned it on week one, but anything less than nurturing can be trauma in your life anytime you 've experienced anything that was less than And helpful and nurturing and giving life and hope. Those things, whether it's a dad that just didn't show up or a dad that was verbally abusive, physically abusive, or a dad that just never said what you really were hoping he would say or a mom or you name it, a coach. Anything less than nurturing can can produce shame and trauma. Shame can come from something about us we can't control. So like maybe it's an a inability or maybe it's a gifting that your brother has that you don't have. Or, or, or it's a resource that, that they have but you didn't get. You got overlooked for the promor- pr- promotion. It's not even, it was just completely out of your control and you can begin to develop shame on stuff that you never could control. I, there are parents that you are walking in shame because your kids have gone um, counter to what you would have taught them. You wanted to raise them right, good, bad, or ugly. Uh, you're, nobody's the perfect parent, but, but you live in shame because your kids are not living the way you wish they would live. And you're carrying that. Can I tell you, God himself made two humans. He only made two humans. Then he left procreation all up to us. <laughs> can I get a man? <laughs> And the two humans that God birthed himself, one from dust and breath and the other one from a rib and breath, both of them failed miserably. What, is God not the perfect parent? What, did God not discipline them right? Spare the rod, spoil the child? You're in good company. God knows what it's like to give a straight path and for us to miss the mark. and he, 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 He's empathetic to you and sympathizes with you and knows where you stand. He, he's a loving God, not disconnected. He knows what it feels like. And we can wear that shame. And when those seeds get planted, young or even now, seeds are always being planted in your life. You're never, you're never not fertile to receive seeds that can become shame in your life. The results though, the harvest of that, what you begin to harvest from those seeds of shame? Here are the results. First, shame can become quicksand. You, you get into it and it, it, it just like it drains your strength. It, you, the harder you try, the, it almost feels like the more stuck you get, it can become quicksand and it, and it gives you feelings of like helplessness. Why even try because uh, it's, it's just like it's quicksand and you haven't even identified it as shame, but it's it's shame working in the in the io. It's working in the internal operating system of your life. And so you begin to say things like I know this bad thing is going to happen. So why even try? This is just going to fall apart too, so why, why even deal with it? I might as well just go on another binger. Like I, 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 Look, I fell already. I was sober for this many days and weeks and months, and then I did it again. What's the point? I, there's no way I'm going to go back into recovery now. You know, many times an alcoholic will, will struggle, or someone who's an addict will struggle, and they... they, 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 they um, they feel like they're not going to be able to control your opinion of them. So self-destruction becomes the only thing they can control. So if I can't get it right, and if I'm not going to get the help, and if I'm going to keep messing up, then I'm going to control my downward spiral. Nobody else is going to take my life out of my hands. I'll just give it up myself, and it can become this unbelievably deadly, vicious cycle that people that are stuck in their shame, that have produced addiction in their life, they will go into self self-destruct mode because it's the only thing they feel like they can control because shame is lying to them. I deserve the worst because I am the worst. And that's not Jesus. That's not Jesus trying to get you to repent. That's shame trying to keep you from Jesus. Here's the deal. Shame can become quicksand, but you know what else? As a matter of fact, some of you are dealing with the quicksand of shame right now. I've been praying for you this week. I believe God's going to set some people free today. And you can stay free. You can stay free. It's work. But you can stay free. For some of you, it's not quicksand. To, to be honest, the next one I'm going to talk about is really kind of the seeds of my own shame. Nobody's yeah. exempt. Okay, You can preach the gospel and and. Uh, Deal with heavy shame. Um, Shame can become jet fuel. Like, there's this motivation that shame can produce. As a matter of fact, for a long time, it's been a parenting tactic. And God help us. God, the perfect parent, never used shame as a tactic. Guilt, understanding what we've done wrong, but never shame. If you can't hit that ball, you need to sit in the dugout. Thinking that belittling somebody is gonna give them the motivation to hit the ball. Don't come home if you're gonna, don't you, don't you walk through this door if you don't do that. If you don't get that done, if you don't change that situation. Shame be a parenting motivator and guess what it can work in the short run in the long run it it's destructive and damaging shame can work in the church get right or get left turn or burn and look hell is real hell is utter separation don't be afraid of the flames that's that's not even the deal Honestly, you know what hell really, what, what really is the, the deal with hell? It's total separation from God. Complete and utter separation. But the church used like hell as a bully club to get people afraid of God instead of a healthy fear of God. Afraid, wearing shame. Oh, God will be mad at you if you don't tell the truth. As though God is like, on edge. Oh, I can't believe. <laughs> Punching holes in the sheetrock of heaven because of what you did. What? When we tell our kids, God, God's gonna be mad, you're gonna make God so sad, he grieves over you. But he's like, he's not human. He's God. Perfect emotion. He can grieve over you. And you can grieve him. But he doesn't flip out over you. He doesn't flip out over it. He loves you perfectly. And it can become jet fuel. Hopeless perfectionism. We got to get it perfect. And then we get critical of others that don't get it perfect. And we don't even see our own, our own lack of, of imperfections. And so it's hopeless, why? Because you're not ever gonna be perfect and nobody else is ever gonna be perfect. And if you as a spouse have a, have a definition of a good marriage, of them being perfect, change your definition, because it's hopeless. You wanna make your marriage hopeless? Expect perfectionism. But like, it's not even a marriage. It's, it's like how, we, how people view us. We wanna have things set up just right. So the Instagram account, I mean, we gotta, we can't post a, a picture until it looks exactly the way it needs to look. Like some of you are like, <laughs> don't even start with me right now. I know, I'm not saying, you, you know, go through the whole thing, make it the right color, that's fine. No, no shame in that game. But when it's trying to present something that fills a need, that's when it can become destructive. Hey, harsh criticism. Let me tell you that. You will never meet someone that isn't harshly critical about others, that isn't dealing with shame in their life. Usually the people that are critical about something in someone else, usually there's some kind of shame associated in it. I have found that the critical voices that happen in the church, usually that criticism is stemming from an expectation they had of church or of God that didn't go the way they intended it or wanted it to go. And they're dealing with that and they're dealing with that own imperfection. And so instead of dealing with the shame that they're wearing, they're, they're, they're pointing it out in others to give some kind of false, like false sense of relief. Harsh criticism. High performance. Man, like I'm training for a really big race. I've got a half Ironman in October, and then in early 22, I've got a a full Ironman, a swim, bike, and run, whatever. And I wonder, there are moments where I I have to put that in check because I wonder, am I trying to do that to to, to still tell myself I can do big things when I don't feel very big? When I don't feel very strong? I'm gonna do something big. Make a big goal because maybe that will show value in my life. I got to gotta, I gotta perform as a pastor, make sure that, man, the message needs to, like, oh, like, I don't, I, you know, you don't want me to preach a bad message. I promise you, I don't want to preach a bad message. I don't want to bore you. But also, like, I'm not here to, you know, like dancing monkey. <laughs> but if I'm not careful, my motivation can come from years that I have carried shame, and I I know exactly where it sits. I know where that shame sits. It's a big old fur coat, and I, I can go right to it, and I can put it on if I'm not careful. High performance. The truth is, shame can be a root of many, many problems, but it's not the root of the real problem. Shame can be the root of bullying. Shame can be the root of cheating. Shame can be the root of walking in woundedness. But here's the deal. Sin is the root of our collective problem. That authority, that control, the authority I reject. But here's what's crazy. The enemy has, let's say Satan had a garage sale, okay? And he's got all his old tools on the the white tables out in the driveway. And he's walking out, you know, He's like, come on in, and everybody's looking. And, and I don't know why Satan hired each Texas Draw, but, but uh, uh, <clears throat> come in. I don't know how he sounds. He, you know what he sounds an awful lot? Your own voice <laughs> in your life. Um, he's got, like, oh, adultery. He's got porn, and he's got... Um, uh, alcohol, drunkenness, and and he's got abuse of uh, painkillers. He's got got bitterness and unforgiveness. He's got all these tools. He's like, I'm doing a sale right now. Can I tell you one of the greatest tools he uses that ought to be jacked up in price because it's very, very valuable for him? Shame. Shame is a big goal of our collective enemy. Because if Satan can get you living in shame. You will never really become or experience the kind of freedom that Jesus already paid for in your life. Let me show it to you this way. God creates man, then he creates woman, and they're standing there together. Adam's woken back up by God. Hey, slick. What happened? Man, my my side feels funny. He's like, I took a rib. It's just what I do. He said, okay, okay. He said, I want you to meet Eve. Eve, this is Adam. Adam, this is Eve. They're both standing there naked. And and, and Eve goes, man. And Adam goes, whoa, man. (laughs) Like, whoa, man. And the Bible says in Genesis 2, verse 25, Adam and his wife were both naked. They were naked and they felt what? Like, what does the author want to show us that Adam and Eve felt in this moment? The author is so clear here on what they felt. Like, if we're gonna fill in the blank, it's gonna be like, you know, for me, Tony the tiger, they felt great. Adam and Eve were both naked and they felt sexy. Adam and Eve were both naked and they felt whole. Adam and Eve were both naked and and they felt joyful. Like, what? The author could have put a thousand different things Things here of what they felt in this moment. So what did really Adam and Eve feel in the purest moment of all moments? They've, they've, they've awakened from this sleep. There's woman, there's man. They see each other. It's the beginning of humanity and they felt no shame. There was an innocence and a vulnerability and an openness and a complete reliance on Father God, Creator God, the bi- the gardener like we are surrendered to you and happy and vulnerable. We don't have to, we, we, we can stand there unashamed. No shame. But then the enemy comes in and tempts Eve and Adam. You can be like God. And they give, they eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. They sin, they take the authority in their own hands. And then the eyes of both of them were opened And they realized they were naked. Now, why is God saying this? Why is the scripture saying this? Because that shame thing is a big deal. How how does Adam and Eve respond to like, whoa, you're like, and I'm I'm like, whoa. (laughs) How did they respond? They immediately ran to God, believing he would help them with what they were facing for the first time. That's not what scripture says. That's the J-Y version. No, 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 no. That's not what happened. (laughs) That's what happened to me the other day. My wife got dropped off by a friend. (laughs) I don't know why I'm telling this story. Janet's not here. She's not here to stop me. (laughs) Janet got dropped off by a friend. If you've ever been to our home, you're welcome anytime. Our front door is all glass. Janet had done the laundry, but (laughs) she didn't put the laundry up. So the laundry room is on the other side of the house and our bedroom is on the opposite. And so I put a t-shirt on, but that's it. And I I went to go find some underwear. And when I walked out, the very first thing I noticed is right through the glass doors, there's a car parked right there. I I was naked and felt shame. And so like, like like Usain Bolt. (laughs) No, I was an idiot because I didn't just run back into the room. I ran across all the other big windows in our house across the place. And as I'm running across to the laundry room, I hear the pergola door open and my wife goes, hello, are you by yourself? Are you by yourself? And she goes, yes, what is wrong? And here's what happens when you feel shame. You also play the blame game. Janet, I've been gone for a week and you can't put underwear in the drawer. As though it's her fault that I'm walking around naked. <laughs> She's like, I did the laundry, it's on, it's on the table. I said, but then it shouldn't stay on the table. She's like, oh, don't even start with me. So her first thing is not to console me, or it's fine, don't worry about it. She's calling her girlfriend that was in the car and said, I, we'll, we'll, call, we'll call her Angie, because that was her name. She happens to go to the Nat campus, I ain't gonna lie. (laughs) She goes, Angie, what happened? And and Angie's like, ah! I saw my pastor (sighs) naked! These are the benefits of coming to the 11 o'clock service. You get things that I could get fired over. That's what you get in the second service. The eyes of both of them were open. I don't know how I'm going to cover, but we're going to try. They realized they were naked, and here's what happens. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. They were naked and felt no shame. So, what are they feeling in this moment? Ashamed. And they covered themselves with fig leaves. Some of you ain't nothing but a fig leaf. Chasing the carrot ain't nothing but a fig leaf. Having to post the perfect thing on social media, ain't nothing but a fig leaf. Trying to get them to understand you, ain't nothing but a fig leaf. Fig leaves won't cover it, everybody. Only the grace of God, only the blood of Jesus really covers it all, takes it away. So how do we step out of the shadows of shame? As we, as we wrap up today, I wanna give you a couple of biblical things that that we can do to begin to step out. And you know, a 30-minute message isn't gonna fix shame. That's why we've provided the resources online at TimberCreekChurch.com, the RightNow Media. We wanna give you some tools. At the end of this message at both of our locations, prayer teams are gonna be down front and maybe you'd like to pray over something. It, it could be related to shame, it could be completely unrelated. We just don't want you going alone with this. We don't want you praying alone over anything. How do we step out of shame? First, got to speak it. you got to speak your shame. If you keep it hidden, if you keep it dark, you, speaking your shame means you got to begin to identify. It's really hard to deal with something you don't identify. You're, you're dealing with an issue in the home. If you don't identify what the issue is, it's really hard to deal with it. You've you got to deal with what's in your heart. If you don't identify the issue, it's hard to ever deal with it. Speak it out to somebody. You don't have to speak it out to everybody. Speak it to somebody. I'm dealing with this. This is how I feel. This is something I'm struggling with. Don't go alone in this. Speak your shame, and you'll realize as you take it like take it out of the darkness, it, can't, it, it loses its power. See, shame stays strong in the dark. It's strengthened in the dark. Bring it into the light. and When you do, Jesus can turn your shame into a showcase of his grace. A few weeks ago, I preached a message right out of the book of Mark about a man named Jairus who had a 12-year-old daughter who was dying in her bedroom. And Jairus jumped out of that bedroom, out of the house, ran to find Jesus, and fell at Jesus' feet. Will you come and heal my daughter? Will you come? My daughter's almost dead It was a dad who did not know what to do, so he went to Jesus. Please help me. And as Jesus was going to help Jairus, another woman who had an issue of hemorrhaging, physical hemorrhaging, an unstoppable menstrual cycle for the last 12 years, chronic illness, not only made her weak and she spent all her money on medical bills, that's what the Bible says, but also, she was ceremonial unclean. She hadn't been, had someone lay a hand on her and pray over her. She couldn't go to the temple. She couldn't get out. She was considered unclean. She was an outcast. We don't even know her name. And I preached that message a few weeks ago, but I just went back to it because there was something, there was a couple things that were nuggets that actually I didn't even know a couple weeks ago, but God really showed for this message today. So I want to come back to that story. When that woman with the issue of blood, they're walking towards Jairus' daughter. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him, incognito, behind. Wants to be anonymous. She wants to get the anointing anonymously. She wants to get her like healing and and and, and haul out. She wants to get like you know that's like a, a touch and grab. You know, it's like a grab and go. It's like a drive through miracle moment. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. And so she did. And the Bible says, and catch this, I I didn't catch this last time. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Physically she was healed. It is a miracle moment, physical healing. And at once Jesus realized the power had gone out from him and he turned around in the crowd and he asked, who touched my clothes? Now he's asking a question like a parent asks a kid and you got three kids on the couch and you say, who ate the chocolate chip cookies off of the countertop? And you've got two kids and one of, one of them's got chocolate all over their face. You're asking as a parent, who ate the cookies? You know who ate the cookies. But you're asking as a parent because you want them to learn something in this moment. Who touched my clothes? He knows who touched them. But he's wanted to teach something here. Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman knowing what had happened to her she knew she was healed, came and fell at his feet. Jairus had fallen at his feet and Jesus started following him. This woman, we don't even know her name, she fell at his feet because she had this issue and she felt in her body healing grace flow through Jesus. She fell at his feet, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. This isn't the kind of fear like, you know, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. She's scared. She's scared. She's afraid. Do you know what she is? She's covering herself in fig leaves. She's feeling the shame of dealing with this sickness for 12 years. How do I know? I'll show you. You got to speak your shame. She spoke it out. She told them, here's what I did. Here's why. Here's what's been going on the last 12 years. She She spoke her situation and she spoke her shame. You gotta do it. you know what else you need to do? We, we learn it from this story and all throughout the Bible. Let your head be lifted. See, <clears throat> we tell our kids, put your head up, keep your head up. Hey, look at me when I'm talking to you. And that's okay, there, there's moments for that. Keep your head up, come on. Look at me when I'm talking to you. There are times where I have to take even my 18 year old my 12 year old and there's moments where either they feel guilty or they feel shame and there's moments where I have to have somebody do it for me and maybe I need to do it for my spouse or where I place my, my hand underneath their chin and I have to lift their head up because they don't feel like lifting their head up. Hey, 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 look at me in the eyes. It's gonna be okay. This is what Jesus wants to do you don't have to lift your head he is the bible says the lifter of our heads he's the lifter of our heads and this is what he does to the woman she fell at his feet she's trembling she is ashamed and what does he say to her i didn't even see this the first time he said to her daughter see the 12-year-old girl who was sick and dying in bed, at least she had a daddy. At least she had a daddy that would put his shoes on and run out into the dusty street. I don't even know if he took the time to put his shoes on, but he ran after Jesus because his daughter's life was on the line and he fell at the feet of Jesus and he said, will you touch my daughter, please? Somebody do something. And Jesus says, let's go, I'm on my way. But the woman with the issue of blood, she had nobody. She didn't have anybody. We don't even know her name. Nobody ran out of her home. She didn't have a friend named Dorothy that came running to Jesus and say, my friend Susie is is locked up in her house, been unclean. She can't worship with anybody. She can't pray with anybody. She can't get out to the temple. Will you please? She had nobody to plead her case. She had no father. Or did she? Or did she? Because Jesus himself says, daughter, what is he saying? you are not identified see the bible identifies her woman with an issue jesus identifies her daughter you are not identified by your issue the power of new life everybody starts with a new identity in this moment, he has already healed her. She felt it in her body. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and what? Everybody say it out loud, all campuses. Be freed from your suffering. One more time. Be freed from your suffering. What? She had already felt that she had been freed from her suffering. This story isn't about an issue of blood. This story is really about identity. This is is really about your spiritual hemorrhaging and mine. This is really about, yes, you're you're, going to leave healed. You've already felt it. What I really want to free you from is all this suffering that you felt as a result of this issue, all the shame that you're carrying as a result of being away and not knowing and having nobody to plead your case. As I wrap up today, you can go weeks without food. You can go weeks without food. You can go days without water. You can. You can go minutes without breath. You can. You can hold your breath underwater, and if you train yourself enough, you can go a few minutes. But you cannot go three seconds without thinking. You can't go three seconds without thinking. And there are tape recorders in your mind, all kinds of voices in your head. One of the loudest is your own. But God cares about you, spirit, soul, and body. There is a spiritual warfare coming from you, coming from the enemy, and God who wants to put a standard against those things. I'm gonna ask my friends to help me out here. This represents you. This, 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 this represents you right here. You've got, you've got three different voices. This is you. This is you right here. And you've got all kinds of voices, but let's just talk about this voice and this voice. This voice is... The, go, go, go ahead, guys. Go ahead, guys. There are voices going on right now. Some of you, it's the voice of your mom. Some of it's the voice of the enemy. Some of, it's, some of you don't know the difference between your mother-in-law's voice and the, the enemy's voice. All kinds of voices in your head. God is speaking to you right now. The enemy wants to speak over you right now. You are speaking things about you right now. And the enemy says things, the enemy says things like this. You shouldn't even try. God will never forgive you. Everybody thinks you're a failure. You won't make it. Don't let anyone know. You better hide. Everybody will leave you if they find out. Nobody else struggles like you do. Nobody wants you. You'll never get past your past. And as we have that happening, all of a sudden, some of the own things we're telling ourselves are. I'll never get past my past. I don't deserve to be loved. I'm never going to make it. I shouldn't even try. God will never forgive me. Everybody thinks I'm a failure. I can't let anybody know I'm struggling. And yet Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's never stopped speaking. His word is true, but he is wooing you. Yet the the Holy Spirit, Jesus, is speaking in your life. He's speaking over you. You are forgiven. You are loved. I have set you free. I am all you need. I will strengthen you and uphold you. I have forgiven you. You can trust me. I do not define you by your successes or your failures. I will never leave you or forsake you. I made you in my. And I want to tell you, as you amplify the right voice, it changes what you think. I am a child of the King of Kings. I am forgiven. It depends on loved. who you're amplifying. I am free. I am who you're Christ, Christ, magnifying. Who, who, who you're exemplifying. Who you're trying to please. Who you're trying to honor. Who you're trying to worship. To who has full control. I will trust in him. I will not Look, write it down, everybody. You got to choose who has the microphone in your mind. You got to choose. Choose. Take those thoughts captive to make them obedient to Christ and amplify the word of the Lord in your life. He has plans and hopes and future, and he's not mad at you, and he never says you ought to be ashamed of yourself. He says, I am, I am loving you. I, I am giving you hope and a future. I forgive you. My steadfast love never ceases. My mercy is new every morning. That doesn't mean that it starts over every morning. It means that it's new this morning, and then it's a completely new mercy this morning, and then it's like completely different DNA and, and, and thumbprint this morning. He's got new mercy every single day, but you got to choose who's got the microphone in your mind. Amen. So, he here, the sun sets free is free. Give God the mic and live it out. Would you close your eyes with me this morning, all locations? I know this is a heavy message. Some of you are in the middle of it. You're feeling the weight of shame. Oh, Jesus loves you. Oh, he paid for it. He knows what that weight feels like. He took it all on the cross. He knows what it feels feels like to feel abandoned. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yet he did that for you. So this is our time to respond. God's been stirring your heart. This is response time. This is altar moment. This is where we come to the altar. The altar isn't a piece of wood. It's a place of sacrifice. So in your chair, whether you're kneeling or standing, whether you come to the front or you get in your car, your place of sacrifice becomes an altar. This is an altar moment for you. It's time to sacrifice. It's time to surrender. It's time to lay the shame at the foot of the cross because that's where it was paid for and belongs. So for those of you walking in shame, one first step is to relinquish control, to surrender to Jesus. And if you've never done that, that's why Jesus came and lived a perfect life, died a perfect death, so that you don't have to die separated from him when you receive what he did, not what you could do. It's called the gospel. It's called the good news. That he prepares a place for you in heaven, not by what you prepare, but what he has prepared. That your identity is in him, not in what you've done or what you didn't. And maybe that's your first step of walking out of this shame. He's calling you daughter. He's calling you son. So in your own words, you would say, I receive you as my Father. I receive you as my Savior. I receive you as my Lord. Jesus, would you take my sin away, my desire for control, and I give you control. Jesus, will you cleanse me from the the top down on shame and everything else that separates me from you. Thank you, Jesus, for not being mad at me, but for loving me this moment and every moment loving me so much that today I can make things right with you. For those of you walking in shame, you love Jesus, but you have been not walking in freedom. Shame is is crippling your heart. Give it to Jesus. Speak your shame to him. Let him be the lifter of your head. Thank you that I don't have to be embarrassed in front of you. I can be completely naked in front of you and feel no shame. Completely vulnerable with you. And know that you're not mad at me. You're mad about me. I don't want to do this on my own. I need help. I I want to re-record what's on the tape recorder. Speak those things over me, Jesus, and I will speak them too. I will declare the goodness of who you are in me and through me and for me and you're not against me. Thank you, Jesus, that I'm never alone. I'm never forsaken. I'm chosen. I am who you say I am. And the enemy thought that he could steal my identity, but he was wrong. I am a child of the Most High King. I'm forgiven, I'm blessed, I'm sanctified, I'm spiritually healed and cleansed. I have touched you and you have touched me and I can hold my head up because you are the lifter of my head. And if you receive that today and believe that today, I'm asking you to walk in that today and let all God's people say a good strong amen.